Welcome to another episode of Left Coast Sports with John Schaefer. And Left Coast Sports is brought to you by the Multicultural Health Foundation Reimagining Wellness. We're shifting the conversation from managing illness to inspiring wellness. Selection Sunday is just over two weeks away, and the race at the top of the Mountain West Conference is one of the most fascinating conference title races in all of college basketball. Currently, four teams are vying for both a regular season championship and a bid in the field of 68, with Utah State, San Diego State, Boise State, and Colorado State all in contention right now. In fact, the league is seeking to get three or more teams into the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2013, when the Mountain West sent a record five teams to March Madness. In addition to the four teams at the top of the league, Nevada has a Player of the Year candidate in Grant Sherfield and could shake things up in the Mountain West tournament in Las Vegas in March. This week, I caught up with Eli Betker, the founder of Heat Check College Basketball or HeatCheckCBB.com. Eli has covered the Mountain West extensively and is an excellent voice on all things Mountain West hoops. If you're a fan of college basketball, you need to check out his website as well, HeatCheckCBB.com. Before we get started with today's episode, please give us an auto-download on your podcast platform so you get future episodes automatically. Lefco Sports is on most podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, the free iHeartRadio app, YouTube, and Spotify. And please give us a review, too. The reviews are greatly appreciated. And while you're here and listening today, give me a follow on Twitter, at John Schaefer, that's J-O-N-S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R, at John Schaefer. Could the Mountain West actually send four teams to the NCAA tournament this year? Plus, much more about the state of the league in this wild 2021 season. Here's this week's episode of Left Coast Sports with Heat Check College Basketball founder, Eli Betker. All right, so Eli, what do you make of the year that the Mountain West is having with four teams right now in contention for a potential NCAA tournament bid? Yeah, it's not what I was anticipating heading into the season. I had San Diego State as a pretty firm front runner for the league title once again, even despite the losses of their three senior starters. But it's been a busy, busy race up top. I think uh, Boise State has lived up to the potential but especially the emergence of Colorado State and Utah State. I think both of these teams are pretty far ahead of schedule. Uh, they're still both pretty young. Colorado State doesn't have a single senior on their roster. Utah State, uh, a pretty young team as well. I think it just bodes really well for the Mountain West moving forward. A lot of people, I think, don't realize that this conference had more roster turnover in terms of minutes uh, than any other league in the entire nation. And the fact that they still have four teams legitimately competing for at-large bids at this stage of the season, I think is really impressive for the league overall. You know, you mentioned San Diego State, and they lose a Yanni Wetzel. They lose a Malachi Flynn, who was an NBA draft pick. They lose K.J. Fagan, yet they're having similar success in 2021. How are they able to do this year in and year out? Yeah, it's it's been really impressive, and I think there, there were some hiccups along the way this season. I mean, they, they started off with kind of these slam dunks against UCLA and Arizona State. I think everyone kind of assumed that it was the San Diego State of last year. But this team is pretty different in how they operate. I think that uh, they're, they're kind of getting back to the ways of way they, the way they were defensively, maybe under the, the final few years of Steve Fisher, like really playing hard-nosed defensive basketball. I think that's what gets them, uh, you know, to, to be able to have these lengthy winning streaks. But when you have a mix of really solid defense and also this perimeter attack, you have Matt Mitchell who can knock down baskets like crazy, Jordan Shackle and Terrell Gomez, and even Adam Seiko uh, coming off the bench and doing what he's been doing, that kind of adds this element of a team that can get hot and they've, you know, they've used these 
quick 8-0 runs, 9-0 runs, 12-0 runs to go from maybe down a couple baskets to up a few possessions. And it's just in the blink of an eye. I think that's what makes them really tough uh, to go up against. And it's just a, a team that really prides itself on culture. I've spoken with their assistant coaches, and they, they're just they're so bought in into what they have going within that program. And I think there are a number of guys who just care a lot more about the team as opposed to their individual stats and things like that. And I, and I know it's cliche, but I, I do firmly believe with San Diego State that's true. And that's why they have uh, so many tally marks in the win column. Yeah, trying to get back to another NCAA tournament, which would be their 10th in the last two decades. Uh, we, you know, you mentioned Boise State as well. We know about Derek Alston Jr., who's been a really good collegiate player, might be a very good pro prospect as well. Outside of Alston, what has allowed Boise State to put together a year like they're having? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty balanced team. I think that they do a lot of things really well. Depth for them has been especially impressive for me. And one of the reasons why Boise State seems so dangerous is because kind of like San Diego State, if one of their stars has an off night, it's not the end of the world. I mean, Derek Alston might be might be quiet, but it could mean that Abu Kijab has, has a really good night or Ray J. Dennis breaks out. Marcus Shaver has been phenomenal of late. And even Ladin Armouche uh, has had some really strong performances. And he you know, pretty much locked down to me as Kata. Uh, to win that series, uh, which is just especially impressive considering, uh, you know, he's coming from East Tennessee State as a transfer. He's going up against a future pro. When you can have these types of guys who uh, just kind of rise when the moment gets bigger, especially if someone else is having an off night, I think that's what makes Boise State so good. And, you know, they're they're not going to, to, you know, wow you with any, you know, particular facet of the game. I think they just play really good basketball. They're, they're balanced and, uh, they have a number of guys who can give you 15 and can lock you up on the defensive end. And it's just a, a team that I think a lot of people, especially me, I, I had some question marks about how this would all come together. Uh, we've seen transfer-led teams in the Mountain West work. We've seen it not work. But uh, it's a credit to the staff for having this all mesh together and uh, lead to a team that could uh, you know, very well win this Mountain West Conference title. I want to hit on Colorado State and Utah State as well, and I'll start with the Rams. You mentioned the season they're having. They're young, but David Roddy and Isaiah Stevens are terrific players. But do you think that they would be in this position if not for that incredible comeback at Viejas to start conference play? I think they trailed by 26 points. It was the largest come-from-behind win in league history. Has that kind of set them up for this opportunity and moment to potentially make an NCAA tournament? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point, I and mean, it's something that – I kind of took note when it happened because there, I mean, to come back from 26 points down at Viejas, I understand there, there aren't fans in the stands and things like that, but that is such a momentum building, uh, you know, type victory that can really pave way for uh, great things to happen in the future. And to be quite honest, it reminds me a little bit of what happened with Nevada against New Mexico a number of years back. And I'm, Sure, you remember that wild comeback victory that the Wolfpack had in Albuquerque, mm-hmm. and that was kind of the building block of what was to come under Eric Musselman. They used that to uh, have those late February March runs, and you know it, it's not to equate those teams too much, but I do think a win like that can can really pave way for for great things to come. And uh, Colorado State. They shoot the ball really well, and that was to be expected. But to take a leap that they've taken defensively to go from you know maybe a sub-150 defense nationally to now be kind of a fringe top-50 defense, that says a lot about where these guys have bought in. 
And it's still such a young team. They could very well bring everyone back and, you know, compete for an at-large bid in another Mountain West Conference title next season. So it's been a really impressive year for Colorado State, and I do think they're pretty far ahead of schedule. Then you think about a Utah State. I mean, you lose a player as impactful as maybe anyone in the league in Sam Merrill, and then all of a sudden you put yourself in a position where you might be also vying for a Mountain West regular season or tournament championship. And here's a team that has swept San Diego State this year in Logan. They've got Kata back, obviously. What have you seen from the Aggies who, again, struggled this past week against Boy? Boise State, but have had a good year in general. Yeah, they, they have had a really good year. And it, it started off with some hiccups. They had a pretty challenging schedule right out of the gate, going to South Dakota and then having to host BYU. But defense has led the way for this team. And it hasn't been as great of late. But I still think you know when you have a top 20 defense that gives you a shot to win any game in a win-or-go-home situation, uh, you know, these guys, it, it, a young team, again, to me, Kata is the anchor down low. But some of these other players have stepped in and done a really good job. I think Marco Anthony, the Virginia transfer, he hardly played under Tony Bennett, and he stepped in and into that lead guard role and done a really good job. Uh, you know, freshmen like Raleigh Wooster, Stephen Ashworth, they've been pretty solid. And Brock Miller, too, who has been labeled a perimeter shooter, but he really struggled from the field last year, and now he's back to being above 40% from the field. My biggest question for them Kind of as you hinted, uh, they went after a number of grad transfer guards in the offseason, came up empty on all of them, and I think they were trying to use that approach to maybe kind of soften the blow from not having Sam Merrill on the roster anymore. And I think that's most likely what happened in that Boise State series is as good as they are defensively, they still need a guard or a wing who can create and knock down some key baskets. That's exactly what Sam Merrill did when he was there and now they don't necessarily have that guy who can create on offense. So that's something to keep an eye on moving forward, but they're still a team that, that leans so heavily on defense that they have a shot to win just about every game that they play. Eli, what do you make of the potential double-edged sword of the league trying to fulfill TV contracts, but also trying to put their teams or their best teams in position to advance to the NCAA tournament? I, I can't see it being a positive for the top four, and – I, I also can't blame the Mountain West for having to do this because they have this lucrative TV contract deal, uh, this new deal that they have with both CBS Sports and also Fox Sports, which has been great for us viewers, but it also puts you know the Mountain West in a binding situation now where they have to make up these games. And I also think a big portion of this decision is also to try to create competitive balance. Uh, I mean, pretty much each of these Top four, top five teams have some sort of gripe about how the schedule has played out. You know, Boise State has a really back-ended schedule. Uh, Colorado State got all of their big ends out of the way, and now they can kind of coast, but they have uh, potential makeup games against New Mexico, which I'm sure they want to get on their schedule so that they can get a couple easy wins and improve those efficiency metrics. But overall, it's just uh, – uh, you know, trying to make a perfect solution out of an imperfect problem. I, I just I don't think that this is going to wind up helping anyone because, I, I mean, to be quite honest, I think San Diego State is probably the only team that is kind of in that lock conversation in terms of having a bid for March Madness. If Boise State were to drop a game here down the stretch in a postponed matchup, uh, then they already have to play San Diego State twice on the road. I can't imagine them winning both of those games. Colorado State, if they drop a game to, say, New Mexico or Utah State has a slip-up, that could mean the difference between getting two bids or, or getting four bids. And 
Uh, at the end of the day, if the Mountain West wants to have its, uh, you know, high profile as one of the best mid-major leagues in the nation, uh, you know, having four bids looks a lot better than maybe just being a one-bid or two-bid league, especially in a year where it's really never been this competitive to have four teams still in the conference title hunt this late in the season. So, you know, I don't know how it, how it plays out. And given COVID-19's impact on the whole season, there really isn't a perfect solution here. But uh, I can assure you there's going to be at least one of these four head coaches will not be too pleased in the coming weeks, whether it means that they're watching March Madness at home or they thought that they were deserving of a one seed in the Mountain West tournament, when in reality they get the four seed. So, you know, a lot of different complexities in this situation um, and a lot of things to sort out for the Mountain West. I think it's a great point. I mean, there's a scenario where you add a game, and by losing that game, it potentially keeps a Mountain West team outside of the field of 68. I mean, it is college basketball. Everything is based on resumes, and what bad loss could potentially keep, if it's a Boise, if it's a San Diego State, and like you said, maybe a Colorado State or a Utah State, potentially outside of the field. You know, you've mentioned some of the great players in this league, right? I mean, the, the Matt Mitchells and the Jordan Shackles, the Grant Sherfields, Kata, Alston, Roddy, Stevens. Do you have a favorite right now for Mountain West Player of the Year and why? I would probably lean with Derek Alston right now. I think that he probably has the most impact on a game, uh, the way that he's able to give you 15 when it really feels like he hasn't done anything yet. <laughs> he just kind of has this way about him where he, he brings the impact to the floor. And I know San Diego State fans probably won't be too pleased with, with hearing that uh, because Matt Mitchell has done a, just a phenomenal job this year. Coming back from what looked like a, a pretty scary injury, and he's just been superb all season long. But I do think, for my money, I would guess that Derek Alston winds up winning this award. And uh, the story that he's had, you know, coming and everyone mentions it on the TV broadcast, but you know, arriving at Boise as this super lanky prospect who you know wasn't in, wasn't a ranked recruit, and to go from that to now being you know a pro potential wing three and D type guy, it's really impressive. But all the names that you mentioned, the you know the Kaya, Sherfield, uh, Isaiah Stevens, David Roddy, all these guys are more than deserving to be in that conversation. And I think it speaks to the level of play that the Mountain West has seen this year with a lot of these guys cropping up and uh, being substantial players in this conference. But for my money, I would put it on Alston. I think he's uh, done a really good job of uh, embracing this role with a lot of weapons alongside him and leading Boise State to one of their best seasons in recent memory. Would you be surprised at all if a Nevada or a UNLV made a Mountain West tournament run and maybe got to a championship game this year? I'd be surprised if it was UNLV. Uh, I think they're, they're still too inconsistent for me. I think they've had some pretty underwhelming performances. But they are, you know, kind of going back to the earlier conversation, they're also capable of knocking off one of those top teams and if they do have one of these uh, makeup games. Uh, with Nevada, I think they are uh, in that conversation as a team that could make a run. And the reason for that is, as we mentioned earlier, Grant Sherfield and the way that he's able to take over these games. Uh, the performances that he had in some of these earlier series, he completely took over the Fresno State series. And to sweep Boise State, that says a lot about where Nevada's at right now. And I'm curious to see how this team responds after going on this lengthy pause uh, due to COVID-19 because they were really hitting their stride after that Boise State series to sweep the top team in the conference. So that kind of makes me a little hesitant to buy all the way in on Nevada, but they will almost always have the best player on the floor in Grant Sherfield, the way he's able to 
create off the bounce and, you know, distribute. He's one of the best passers in the nation. Uh, and he has a pretty solid supporting cast alongside him. So I would, I would not be surprised at all if Nevada makes a run. Obviously, Steve Alford knows what he's doing and has the pedigree in this conference. And uh, I still think at this point you have five teams that could legitimately reach the league title game. And it's fascinating for all these coaches and the players involved, but it's especially fun for us fans to watch and follow along because uh, the Mountain West is, is so competitive this year. And we're so used to seeing maybe one or two teams run away with it. But I do think Nevada is one of those dark horses who could really make it interesting. So what is your best guess? Two and a half weeks from now, does the Mountain West have two teams in, more or less? I would guess more. I would guess three. I think San Diego State is probably in an 8-9 game, I would imagine. Boise State, I would say, is probably a 10 or 11 seat. And I imagine either Colorado State or Utah State find their way into one of the first four games. I think I think that's probably how it's going to unfold. A lot of it's determined by, I think, who makes the league title game. And I think best case for the Mountain West is, uh, you know, San Diego State and Boise State take care of their business and probably lose in the semis. And then you have either Colorado State or Utah State winning it. And uh, it's been a league that has had so many bid stealers in recent years, the way, you know, last year San Diego State ran through the conference and Utah State won the title. Yeah, year before, you know, Nevada and Utah State were up top and Utah State won it again. And then, you know, Nevada beating San Diego State the year before. So um, just a, a, always an interesting league because it seems like the tournament unfolds in a way that isn't too great for the number one seed. And given that there are four or five teams that can compete for the title, I would imagine it's probably not the front one or who wins it this time around. So I would probably put my money on, on three bids coming out of the Mountain West this season. From a national perspective, before I let you go, uh, who are you choosing, the field or the combination of Gonzaga and Baylor? Oh, man. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of a day-by-day thing for me. I think, I think I'll probably still run with the field, as crazy as it might sound. Mm. But, you know, I, was, I always reference this when talking about Gonzaga and Baylor. I think they're both phenomenal teams. They're built from top to bottom as you would want any team to be, the way that they're able to shoot the basketball, the way that they defend. I think they're as good as a team that you could find in this sport. But, you know, the last time we had the conversations like this, it was 2018 Duke with Zion Williamson, and they didn't even make the Final Four. And, you know, a few years earlier we had the undefeated Kentucky team. Uh, They didn't reach the national title game. So it's so hard to advance in the NCAA tournament and in a year like this where, you know, you, I mean, the, there's limited capacity. You aren't playing these first and second round games at home or at least near your campus. There are so many different elements that I just kind of have a hard time imagining that these teams can go all the way, you know, undefeated throughout such a obstacle-filled season uh, to start from day one all the way to cutting down the nets. I think it, it would – it would be a, a, a testament to what those teams have accomplished, and they've already accomplished so much this season. But I don't think the gap between those two and maybe a team like Michigan or Illinois is really that wide. Uh, when it comes down to a, a neutral site matchup with, with everything that's been going on and the way some of these teams match up, I think I would still lean towards choosing the field. But uh, all the credit in the world to Baylor and Gonzaga and just the phenomenal seasons that they've had so far. Eli, tell our listeners about your site, what they can find there if they're college basketball fans, heatcheckcbb.com. Yeah, uh, heatcheckcbb.com, as you mentioned, we're covering 
college basketball from a from a national lens. Definitely a high emphasis on mid-major and low-major teams. We definitely like finding some of those lesser-known stories in college basketball, but uh, a lot of great things on the site. One of our, our, our bracketologists, I should say, is one of the highest ranked in terms of accuracy in the entire nation. Uh, you know, we have plenty of analytics and stats on the site as well, uh, rankings and things like that, and definitely covering a lot of different topics, previewing conference tournaments, looking at uh, March Madness trends and things like that. So a lot of different things to get people prepared for what should be a really fascinating March Madness. And I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. It should be a good time. It's amazing. March is almost here. Eli, we appreciate your time and thanks for doing it today. Yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Eli Betker for joining us today on Left Coast Sports HeatCheckCBB.com. Bookmark it. Excellent resource for college basketball fans. Make sure to check it out throughout the month of March. If you haven't already, please subscribe and auto-download future episodes on whichever podcast platform you're listening to this podcast on. And please leave a review as well. And once again, follow me on Twitter at John Schaefer. That's J-O-N-S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R. Also, coming this March to your view, Advance to Indianapolis, a four-week college basketball tournament show that follows local teams and players on their journey to a national championship. Each week, Advance to Indy reviews the previous weekend's rounds and looks ahead to the upcoming weekend. Each show airs four times per week with 16 total shows airing throughout the tournament. Advance to Indy includes interviews and expert analysis, along with local stories on the teams, players, and fans that make the madness of March so much fun. For more information, visit yourview.com. That's Y-U-R-V-I-E-W.com. Next week on Left Coast Sports, we'll take an inside look at the UCSB Gauchos trying to reach the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2011 out of the Big West. Thanks for listening. We'll catch up again next week right here on Left Coast Sports with John Schaefer.